The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. This week on the podcast, it's fried tarantulas, finished pancakes, and a boat that needs to sleep it off. When I was trying to get off the boat, I needed like five people to help me and hold me up. Everyone's like, oh, you're drunk. How much did you have to drink? And I'm like, no, the boat's drunk. It's not me. (laughs) Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey, welcome to the Winemakers, guys. This is Brian Casey with Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen. We've got Megan Zobeck here with us. Also, um, uh, Rosalind Reynolds, who we're going to speak to in a little bit from Emmy Wines, also assistant winemaker at PAX. Um, but, but we just wanted to take the opportunity to um, talk to Megan about an event that's uh, coming up soon. Megan, I'm going to throw it right over to you. Um, <laughs> tell us what's going on. Okay, awesome. Um, We have an event coming up at Ashes and Diamonds Winery in Napa. Um, It's called Crush the Vote. And basically, we got a bunch of our friends together. Um, We've got Matthiasen, Masakon, Maitre Deshaies, Halcyon, um, Patrick Capiello will be pouring uh, his wines, Monterio. Sorry, I have a huge tanker truck coming up behind me. <laughs> Perfect. Where, yeah, where, where are you right now? Um, I'm actually at Hyde Cellar. I'm working, I'm working in the uh, office at Hyde Cellar since I don't have an office anymore. Um, we have, let's see who else is pouring. We've got Ruth Swindowski. Um, gosh, I know I'm leaving somebody out. Gail Wines. Let me, let me uh, so we Ashes said, you said. will be pouring theirs. Uh, well, Scott and Jenny Schultz, so Jolie Lane. Yep, Jolie Lane. Uh, yep. You said Matthiasen, Halcyon, Metro de Shy. I can never say that right. Uh, Monterio, Ashes and Diamonds, obviously. Um, are you pouring wine, Megan? You know, um, we just organizing will not have, yeah, we won't have wines at that event, okay. um, just with recent events, but but I, I put the whole thing together with um, Kashi of Ashes and Diamonds. And then also actually um, the People's Collective for Change of Napa will be joining us as well. And they've been doing all the peaceful protests in Napa for Black Lives Matter. And this the, is a, it's a voter registration drive? Is that kind of the, the deal? It is. So we're trying to get out. We have a bunch of unregistered voters, at least in Napa County. Um, so we're trying to encourage people to come out and register to vote. And in California, when you register to vote, you automatically have your um, mail-in ba- or your ballot mailed to you. So we're just trying to get the last few voters out there that haven't registered to vote yet, give them motivation to come out. Um, not that they should need it, but this is pretty good motivation. And then also we have a lot of people outside of California that drink California wines. So if you're not in California, we're hoping you see this and remember to go register to vote. I mean, it's a it's a list worth paying attention to of wineries that are uh, being involved in something, you know, with, with definitely. This cause and in the mind. thing that we want people to remember is 
you either have to be an unregistered voter to enter or you have to bring a friend who's unregistered. So we're hoping we get the conversation started amongst friends so that we can get everybody out. And it's one of those things where yeah, yeah. you can check your voter registration, right? And find out if you are registered. And if you aren't, go Monday at Ashes and Diamonds. What, so what are the details on the, when, what time should people, how do you, do you sign up ahead of time? What's the, what's you the don't time? need to sign up ahead of time. You can go onto the Ashes and Diamonds website. They do have, um, they do have, you can register, you can put your name on the list. Um, but we're also welcoming people that haven't, that haven't registered through the talk website. Um, so the event is from 5 to 8 p.m. So you can show up any time between then. We'll check your registration before you come in. Um, and if you bring an unregistered voter, but you're registered, we'll still check your registration because <laughs> we want to make sure everyone is registered. Um, and then you can come in and enjoy yourself. It's a big outdoor space. So we'll have plenty of social distancing. We will require masks and we'll have hand sanitizer everywhere. Cool. And awesome. food or food or no food? We, I don't think we'll have any food. We might have a few small bites, but it's not a food heavy event. Okay. Keep the mask on. Keep More the mask, mask on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> food later. There's too much good wine. I'm getting away the food anyway. So, so right. how did this, you started to, when we talked earlier, Megan, you, we started to talk about how this kind of came about. Um, but and I, I interrupted you because I didn't, I, I wanted the story to be fresh when we, when we actually were recording it. So we kind of talk about what was sort of the genesis of this. Yeah, I think, um, I think it was a combination of things. Uh, for me, it was, you know, watching, watching the civil unrest around our country, um, seeing more fires kind of burning the hills and watching my friends in the wine industry suffer and around the country suffer. And it was just like, I got to use this anger as motivation and do something. Um, and so I reached out to Kashi because I knew he was motivated too. And also reached out to Gabriella who runs PCC Napa. And I was like, let's get together and do something. Like I know, I know our friends in the industry are motivated and want people out voting and supporting. And um, it was everyone I called immediately. It wasn't like, Oh, let me check my schedule and get back to you. It was like, absolutely like let me know what I can do and everyone was so down to support so it's going to be a really good group of people um and delicious wines so do you have to be an unregistered Napa County voter if you are anywhere in sort of like driving distance of ashes and diamonds can you come to and register is it a Napa County specific nope we can register anyone from the state of California that's an eligible voter in California um the only thing that we won't have for people outside of Napa is if someone really wanted to fill out a paper registration, we will only have Napa County paper registration, uh, okay. but otherwise we'll be registering everybody online, um, probably through their phones, honestly, um, helping them to register online because it also helps us with like COVID um, right. related, just not touching not things. <laughs> washing sanitizing pens and putting them in the right jar yeah. exactly <laughs> yep clean jar the dirty jar the i can't remember jar yeah exactly jar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and we should say that as of today that we're recording the it seems like the heroes act is dead in the water the restaurant act uh, you know basically included in that you know trump says he's not giving any more money to liberal run cities that are just going to start fires so 
Um, we got a vote. Yeah, it's pretty damn important. Um, yep. Especially talk to your friends in Texas. <laughs> yeah, I was just seeing that. I think it was on the John Oliver, <laughs> that show that he does on HBO on Sunday nights, and was saying that there it's one polling drop-off place per county in Texas. And some some districts have like 400 people and some have like 7 million. So, and when the and when it's full, you're not allowed to like keep stuffing them in there. Like oh it's so stupid. That was a nightmare. Yeah, Texas is going to be fun. And this election yep. is not going to be called on election night. It's going to be like a two week, two month long process of counting all these ballots. So it's not going to be like normal when you know you go to bed knowing who won the election. This is going to be a a different kind of thing, which opens up the door for Mr. Litigious um, to to grind us down for two or three weeks on on how everything was unfair and poor me and all that crap's going to happen. So, well, so it'll be a good time to drink wine and, it'll be and a good month of wine drinking. That's right. And send register your... and drink wine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have yet to receive yeah, our. Um, I don't know if you guys, we haven't received our apps, our um, ballots yet, which you know I'd like to do it sooner than later, but we're still waiting. I know. Yeah, we have um, not received Napa, ours yet either. Napa started mailing theirs out yesterday. Okay. Um. So hopefully, hopefully we see them very soon. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I'd pick it up. I do like a curbside pickup of my ballot. You know at this point yeah totally. seriously <laughs> tell me where i need to go yeah all right well where you need to go if you're not registered to vote is monday from five to eight at ashes and diamonds and if you are registered to vote find somebody who isn't and drag them there it's the easiest Correct. thing in the world to do and then you get to drink this amazing list of wine absolutely yeah yeah, this is like the one time, don't be embarrassed to say that you're not registered. Right. Now, this <laughs> is the time. I'm, I'm actually Seriously, trying to figure out right popular. now how I can unregister right. by Monday <laughs> so that I can show up. <laughs> yeah, it's, totally. I think when you start asking around, it's actually pretty interesting because you think all of your friends are registered. And then you're like, wait a minute, right. I hang out with you and you're not registered? Like, <laughs> get your butt over here, let's go drink some wine. Deal breaker. Okay. I'm going to look for my fake ID from uh, <laughs> from when I was in college. Sean Pendleton was my name. Sean <laughs> Pendleton. That's yeah, awesome. That was it. Right. Sean Pendleton, registering to vote at 123 Main got, Street, Napa, yeah, California. I think it got taken in Chico one night, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, that's where it belongs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Megan, thank you very much. We'll uh, be sure to put the word there. out. Yeah, and we'll use no our social media streams, too, to try and try and push it. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate Megan it. Megan and Rosalind. You bet. Do you guys actually know each other? Have you met before? No. Okay. Yes. We met oh. back when I was with Inkanu. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. oh. Yes, yes. All right, yeah, yeah, I thought there might be a little crossover on today's show just because I think Rosalind works with a lot of people that we just the amount of people, the, the people that she's with in her facility. There's, um, there's probably a lot of. Yeah, it's I mean, a spider I, well, web. It's half that list. It's half that list. Yeah. Oh, good. Tell us a hi. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, let's. Uh, thanks, thanks, Megan. Megan. Thanks, guys. Bye, Rosalind. Bye. And we're losing. We're losing Bart also. Yeah, um, I have to. Um, I have a prior engagement. Sorry, Rosalind. I would love to hear it, but I'll. I'll hear it on Friday. Um, yeah, I have a yeah. Uh, Bart, said we, 
Bart said we could give him shit after he signed out, but I think we should give him shit now. He's doing an AARP event. <laughs> I mean, you know. You know what? You probably I, sell some wine. Well, I guess if I wrote, wasn't actually old, which I am, you know, um, then it would be stranger. But, uh, but yeah, I guess I'm old enough. You get uh, it's magazine? for a good listener. It's, it's for one of, our great, one of our favorite listeners, David Hayes. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I look forward to hearing all about your uh, your wines, Rosalind. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, Bart. Okay, so Rosalind Reynolds, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. The longest intro ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was a really worthwhile intro, though. So I'm happy. To an, an important intro. Yeah, that was important good. And I and I wasn't aware that she, that actually a lot of people involved were people that. Um, that you know from your cellar, actually. Oh, yeah. Scott and Patrick both are downstairs right, right now doing some wine work. So I'm it, happy. It's almost like we planned it, but not, we're not that good. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> not us. <laughs> so, Rosalind, why don't you – so I should, I should mention the reason that um, we reached out to you is that, you know, I had been following you on Instagram and um, was super intrigued by the wines you were making and, and have – not yet gotten a chance to try them. And then I've also been buying, you know, seeing who you're, um, who you're with in the, um, in the cellar there, I was like, oh, I've been crushing that Monterio wine, been getting it from um, Sonoma's Best, Todd Jolly over at Sonoma's Best. And then very familiar with, um, with PAX, you know, having um, worked at the Girl in the Fig for so long where it's a Rhone only wine list. Um, definitely have had my share of Syrah um, um, in my day, but tell us a little bit like about you, like how you, like, where are you from and how do you got started in the wine biz? That's a really good question. Where am I from? I'm actually yeah. <laughs> from, um, outside of Philadelphia, which, uh, uh, is not really connected to the wine industry at all. Are um, you kidding? That's the John, man. The John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, someone knows the East coast. Okay. Well, we, <laughs> we, we have, have a friend of the show. Uh, Kieran Robinson is, is from uh, Philly. He makes wines for a uh, Soci and, and R5 and, um, and then Sandra who owns the girl in the fig. She's a Philly girl too. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. yeah I mean, Philly's, I love Philly. It's like probably my favorite city in the entire world. Um, but it doesn't have a huge, uh, production industry happening there. So I grew up around there. I went to school in Philly and studied genetics and Wait, 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 what does that mean? Studied genetics? I studied so I studied biology and focused on plant genetics research wise. I did a lot of um, like bench research in college and then um, graduated and intended to go to med school. Took a year off before med school and went to go work for Gallo where I thought I'd be doing a lot more bench research, which I've been doing at school, and somehow instead ended up in their research winery department, which is a small-scale, fully functioning winery that churns out a bunch of like small-scale, interesting research wines for Gallo to experiment with. Did that for six months, liked the research, liked the winemaking aspect even more, and then just kept doing it. Started hot harvest hopping for the next four years, worked all over the world, worked for lots of different wineries, lots of different people. One of the people I worked for in those four years was PAX in 2016. And after a couple more years of harvest hopping after being here, I came back in 2018 to work for him full time and to start my own label. And I'm kind of curious about that whole Gallo project thing. Like, know, that's what sad. is it? Like, it cool. Yeah, what is it that they do exactly? So, um, so 
Gallo has a bunch of research departments, right? I thought you were uh, going to say a bunch of money. Money, lots of interest in research. They're a really cool company, actually. Um, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the wines they make, but um, in terms of what they're trying to do in a research sort of way, it's fascinating. So they, um, a bunch of their research departments, their biochemical department, their chemical department, their viticulture department, they plan these projects where um, they take different varieties, maybe varieties that aren't normally grown in California, they grow them in different ways, they prune the vineyards, they leaf the vineyards in different ways, they harvest at different times, and then they make the wines in many different ways, with lots of different additives, with lots of different yeasts, with no yeast, with sulfur, with no sulfur, with just every variable explored. They write these like recipes basically, and they send the recipe with a small lot, 200 pounds worth of the specific grape to the research winery, and then the people working in the research winery, the interns, we just churned through all these different grape varieties with all these different ways of fermenting them and made all these different tiny batches of wines, bottled them all and ended up with um, 500 different lots that covered like 130 varieties and you end up with like two cases of each lot. And then those cases of wines get shipped back out to the different research departments who then run whatever tests they want to run on those wines. And are you able to drink any of those wines? Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're not, some of them are, weird and maybe not very good but they're they're sound wines they're not like faulty like ridiculous chemical things they're just different manipulations a lot of the manipulations that many large wineries do like adding yeast like adding enzymes like adding a whole litany of other things um so pretty normal manipulations but just done in a very specific research focused way to see how different manipulations affect different varieties and then to inform gallo i think on a production scale what they want to do to make the wines that they want to make I guess I should ask that in a different way. I was wondering if you got to drink the wines. Oh, I definitely drank the wines. And some of them were okay. fascinating. Like some of them, I remember some of their vineyards, they were experimenting with um, different sprays that they could spray on the grapes before they were harvested to give the grapes flavors when they were made into wine. So like Whoa. they had like a pepper spray they'd spray on the grapes and they had like a, like a mint spray they'd spray on the grapes and like a raspberry spray. And then like they'd pick the grapes right after spraying and then we'd ferment the grapes and like, dude, the pepper... Pepper spray was like so peppery in the lines. It was it was nuts. It was pretty cool. That's I mean, some crazy like, shit, isn't it? Yeah. The, the the best wine making wine into like the best education you could have ever gotten. I mean, all the varieties, all the like crazy things that commercial winery, like, yeah. big time commercial wineries put in, yeah. manipulate. But all oh, wow. On the one hand, it's it's kind of a bummer. I did it as my first harvest because I had. Up to that point, never studied wine, didn't know anything about wine, had no background at all. And so a lot of the information was kind of lost on me just because I had never even, I didn't really even know what Chardonnay versus Cabernet was. So right. working with like Malvasia and all these other varieties, I was like, didn't really appreciate it. But at the same time, because I had such a, a biological, chemical lab background from the work I'd done at school, a lot of the lab stuff we did there was like really made sense to me and worked with me. So that part was good. The whole thing was really interesting. And were all the grapes, where were they all growing? Were they all in the same place or they're just all over California and then they were um, brought to a main? Um, yeah, all over California. Gallo has various research vineyards. Um, they had a viticulture team of interns that like basically matched our team and the viticulture team would drive all around California picking the grapes and they'd bring them back to Modesto, which is where the research winery is located. And then my team would process the grapes and 
you know, do whatever had to be done to make it into wine. So do you know if they're currently putting out any wine that has been like sprayed with like raspberry or pepper spray? I, I don't know. And I kind of, I kind of doubt it. I'm not, I, I don't know. I was definitely not involved in where that research went. I just remember yeah. that little tidbit being really fascinating. One of the things that I tasted. Because I'm wondering if you even would need to put that out there if you did that. You don't need, there's no ingredient listing, right? Right. Yeah, you wouldn't. I mean, that's one of my problems with um, conventional winemaking is that those things are interesting and cool and like maybe worthwhile in some ways, but because the winery doesn't need to be transparent with the consumer, that seems to be a problem to me. I, I don't agree with the, the, I don't know. I, I don't agree with not telling the consumer everything you're doing to a product. Right. So, so consumers so, want to know. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Would you, would you consider putting a, um, well, I guess it wouldn't be a long list. <laughs> would you consider putting an ingredients list on your bottles or do you think that people in the industry in general should do that? Um, I recognize that there are a lot of difficulties with, with getting that to be, with an ingredient list being a standardized thing for the industry. Um, I think that like idealistically, I think it's a great idea. I think that transparency in general is really important, um, both in like vineyard practices as well as winery practices. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would definitely do that with my wines. I would I think it's a cool idea, but I know that it would be difficult to implement. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that in the past. Um, you know, d does anyone care that you're putting oak dust in there? <laughs> I think people do care. I think that most consumers just have no idea what goes into their wines. Right. Well, Cameron Diaz knows. I don't know. <laughs> they, they just oh shit. Really hey, Rosalind, Rosalind, you're breaking up a little bit. That's uh, Sebastopol internet connections, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think they're they're over in the Barlow, I believe. Yeah. She's trying. Uh, yeah. She's trying. And Rosalind, if you can, you can sign off and sign back on. Might help, too. Or kill the video stream. Oh, yeah. Or kill the video stream. It'll give you more power on the audio. So I was curious if she even got my joke <laughs> with, with, uh, Is that better? Yeah, totally. Did you, I don't know if you saw the, uh, we're losing your, yeah, we're losing your sound. It might be better just with sound. Yeah. If you turn the camera off. Okay. I can do that. This portion of the podcast brought to you by zoom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> zoom 2.0. <laughs> Maybe All right. We can definitely hear you. Did did you understand my joke about Cameron Diaz? I didn't hear your joke because I also broke Oh. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we 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 did a show about, you know, Cameron Diaz put out a wine called, technically you're called clean wine because she had learned about all the additives that were um put into wines and so yeah. we just um we found it very entertaining. <laughs> I actually, Max and I saw that and were also were found that very entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that the crew of, uh, you know, the crew of winemakers and people and sort of characters that you work with on a daily basis probably had a, a lot of fun with Cameron Diaz and Clean Light. Oh, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can we actually, can we talk about that a little bit? Because it's almost at this point sort of um, becoming sort of a legendary I don't know if incubator is the right word, but it's this sort of 
communal quote unquote custom crush is what you'd have to call it, but that's not really what it is out there, right? I think it's more of a cooperative than a custom crush. Right. Yeah. But you're right, it is it, technically it's a custom crush, yes. Well, and can you can you sort of like list off, you know, and we're gonna get to to your wine, but sort of who's who's making wine there, what you guys are doing on a kind of regular basis, what a what a day yeah. in the life of a normal harvest, which is not to say twenty twenty, um, is is like for you in that in that yeah, facility. For sure. I'd love to break it down. I this facility is one of the most Geez, one of the most educational and most fun and most just fascinating places I've ever worked. Um, so there are eight of us that make wine here. Pax, of course. Patrick right. Cappiello, that's Monterio Cellars. Um, Marcus Duman, uh, Rain Winery, that's um, Carlo Mandavi. Uh, Scotty Schultz, that's Julie Led. Myself, uh, Jason Rupert, he makes our deer wines. And Jamie Motley, make Jamie Motley wines. So all eight of those winemakers produce their wines out of this space, which is um, run by PAX. Um, and a, we share a lot of things. We have a lot of things in common in that um, PAX doesn't allow any yeast or any uh, commercial bacteria in the building. So everything's native ferment. Everything goes through malolactic fermentation natively. Um, so we're all on the same page in terms of that, that aspect of holistic approach to winemaking in terms of the vineyards they pull from what you know how rich how light how acid driven whatever their wine is. so carlo makes lots of makes only pinot and chardonnay um martha does a lot of italian varieties pax of course makes syrah scotty does lots of strange scotty things um <laughs> and so it's it's i think it's, you know, <laughs> it's good working here because, like I said, everyone's on the same page and we all work together well, but at the same time, because of just of the breadth that we cover as a group. Right. The, the concept of an entire facility, a customer, you know, when it's one winery and you're not doing, you know, any yeast additions or bacterial additions is one thing, but when it's eight different producers, that's a, a commitment that all of them have to make, right? To, to making wines that way yeah. every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everyone already was making wine like that to begin with. Um, and then it is an actual hard and fast rule by PAX that there are no commercial yeast and no commercial bacteria allowed in the building. And I don't think, you know, people necessarily understand how important that is when, especially when you're talking about um, the, you know, quote unquote natural wine world or, or, you know, native yeast additions, uh, native yeast wines, the yeast that lives in the winery nine times out of 10 is going to be the strongest yeast, right? And that's often what's going to do the fermentation. And often if it's, you know, a commercial yeast that's, that's moved in, right? Yeah, so exactly. So we don't want any commercial yeast here because we don't want it um, creating a home for itself in the winery. We want the yeast right in the winery, in the air, in the walls here to be just those that are derived from the vineyards that we work with. And yes, each harvest there is probably like a native strain to the vineyard that, or uh, sorry, to the winery itself that is driving ferments for most of us. But the hope is that, you know, the native strain within the winery is one that comes from all of the vineyards that we source and not from a package that we bought from, you know, Scott Laboratories or something. <laughs> 
And so when did you, um, so did you say 2016 is when you became the assistant winemaker for PAX? No, I just worked at Harvest here as an intern in 2016, uh-huh. left and Harvest hopped for a few more um, seasons and then came back here in 2018, um, worked part-time, started my label in 2018, uh, worked kind of as like a lead seller hand, but um, Jamie Motley was still assistant winemaker then, so I didn't work full-time here. And then she officially left um, this past December and I took over her, for her then. And when you say harvest hopping, where were you? Oh, I worked a lot of places, man. Um, let's see, I, I worked a lot in Australia and New Zealand, um, also a lot in France, and then um, Argentina once, but mainly France, Australia, and New Zealand. Okay. Yeah. And, and so basically, tell people like what kind of wines that you're passionate about making. I am passionate about a couple of different points. Um, One, wines that are grown in a sustainable way, which again is something that I share with everyone at this facility, which is part of why I work here. Uh, I care a lot about um, environmental practices. I care about the farmer that's growing the fruit. And I I want to know that they care a lot about their land and about keeping their land healthy and keeping everyone that, that shares this land healthy as a result. And then I also care a lot about um, wines that I think are fresh and bright and beautiful and fun to drink. Um, I like things that are high acid. I like things that are driven by fruit and by freshness and that you want to drink cold and you want to be outside and you want to be with friends. And, you know, I, I, I respect wines that are heavier and there are a time and a place for those things too. But personally, I prefer to drink things that are fresh and bright and light. And so I prefer to make things that are made in the same way. And I also, to add to that, I really, I try my hardest to make things with no additions at all. So no sulfur, nothing at all, no finding no filtering. I will add sulfur if I have to, but the goal is always to just let the fruit ferment by itself and capture that perfectly in a bottle. And that's it. And what was your first wine that you made for Emmy? And tell people about where the name came from, too. So the name um, Emmy, Emmy is my grandmother's name. She passed away as I was creating this label, so two years ago almost, a year and a half ago. Um, and it was, I was looking for a name for the brand, and it was, it felt fitting to name it after her for many reasons. Um, mostly because she's my grandmother and I love her. Um, That's then, yeah. Um, so yeah, so E-M-M-E, yeah. Which is, strangely enough, I've always thought it was short for something, but my mom told me that that's it's not short for anything. Her name was just Emmy. It's kind of a strange name. Hmm. Um, it's, it's a very like 2000s name, you know. I don't know when your grandmother was born, but I imagine it was a long time ago. It was a little while ago. Yeah, a little while ago. Yeah. I mean, it has a very, like, 2019 kind of, you know, it's like meme, Emmy. It's got a very modern, it's very right? modern sounding and looking. <laughs> right? It's kind of vibey, and it's like, it's, it's a palindrome, which I think is pretty cool, too. So, uh, right. look, maybe we're going to make it popular. Maybe kids, kids are going to be start to be named Emmy again, which will be, that'll be tight. I'll like that. <laughs> And when, and it wasn't taken, which is the most important name. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And what was the first wine that you made? So I made two wines my first year, 2018. They are up to this point the only two wines I've released. 
Um, they are a Carignan and a Colibard from Rossetti Vineyard up in Mendocino. Uh, I made them because one, this vineyard who, so I found this vineyard through Martha Stuman. She makes some wine from the same place and the Rossettis are this third generation old farming couple who, what they do is farm. They spend all their time on their farm. They know the land, they treat the land really well. They make really beautiful grapes. I mean, they don't make the grapes, they shepherds and really beautiful grapes. And um, they're just really, really, really good, solid people to work with. Uh, so that attracted me to the vineyard. And then on top of that, they grow varieties that are historical to California uh, and both historical to California and no longer super popular. So things like columbard. Uh, used to be planted widespread all over the place here. A lot of it got torn up in the 80s to make room for things like Pinot and Chardonnay, um, which is all fine and good. Pinot and Chardonnay is very good as well, but I think it's pretty neat to work with grapes that have been here for as long as winemaking has been in California and to see what you can make out of those grapes today using, using you know, what we know about winemaking today. So and did, did, they, did they plant the columbard, was that like within the last couple of decades or was this like old vine stuff that had never been ripped out? Oh, old vine stuff. This is from the 30s and 40s. Jesus. Yeah, so it's big old like tree vines that are taller than me, like massive things. Wow. And because of, I think because one, the vines are very old and deep rooted and two, because Carignan and columbard are hot climate Mediterranean grapes that grow very well in hot Mendocino County. For those two reasons, the vines produce just gorgeous, gorgeous grapes that ripen slowly, hold their acid very well, never get too sweet. Just I pick them sometimes in late October and they still produce fresh, bright, vibrant, like really beautiful wines. Because I see, like I'm starting to see Columbard a little bit more recently, you know, for sure. But like who had they been selling the, the grapes to for the, for the past 30 years? Um, they sold to Gallo for a very long time and Gallo would just mass pick them, um, you know, all the reds at once, all the whites at once. No differentiation between varieties, just like, I mean, Columbard was favored for a long time because it, um, it produces well, it, it produces a large volume of grapes. Uh, it wasn't favored for its flavor or for anything other than the fact that you can get a lot of grapes off of one vine. So no one really cared about what it tasted like. They just cared that they could produce a lot from X amount of peckers. It was right. juice and sugar. Juice and sugar. It's got a lot of juice and sugar. Yeah. It also turns out that it has a lot of beautiful acid and also flavor if you take the time to focus on it and give it attention and ferment it by itself. Kind of has a lot of historically and use-wise in California, kind of a similarity to Chenin Blanc in that same kind of way. Right? <laughs> Another just epic producer. He produces a lot of juice and sugar if you make it into nothing. But when you care, you start to like get. I'm I'm saying this just because Bart's not on the show, Brian. I I know. Well, it's a huge Chenin Blanc, uh, you know, uh, champion. <laughs> well, and I know that Rosalind is probably familiar with, um, you know, the Buddha's Dharma Vineyard because Pack sources out of there along with Hardy Wallace for for Dirty and Rowdy, and so she's probably even been in that. Probably even been in that vineyard. Oh yeah, I've walked that vineyard definitely. I actually yeah. almost used them. They're really cool vineyard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have some some pretty big vines in that vineyard too. Not necessarily the Shannon, but on the on the if you get outside of the Shannon, I remember me and Bart were walking it with Hardy one day, and and there was there was some, I don't know if it was Carnion, 
there was some vines that were like, we took pictures because they were like trees. It was like we were posing under a tree in the shade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I love those old vine things. They're, they're pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. So, so for your columbard, so, so was it like, oh, we have this fruit available and you were kind of intrigued or you were like, ooh, columbard, that sounds like something I could totally get into. And, and then how are you going to do it differently so it's not just this juice and sugar thing? So, sorry, uh, um, so many people in this building right now. Um, uh, sorry, so, we can't see you anyway. <laughs> it's like migrating around this office trying to yeah. Um, so Martha connected me with Pamela, uh, who runs the vineyard with her husband, Tom, and I called her and, uh, knew I was going to buy fruit from her after I talked to her because, because I liked her and I liked the way she worked. And then I went and saw the vineyard in person and she showed me what fruit she had available, which was Karen Young, Columbard and Valdeke. And, um, I knew I wanted to work with Carignan already, even before I met Pamela. That was one of the varieties I had in mind. I honestly didn't even really know Columbard existed until I talked to her about it and heard a little, about, a little bit about the history of the grape from her. And then once I'd seen the fruit and seen the vines and, and heard her talk about it, I was like, oh, of course I'll work with this. Like if I'm, if I'm looking specifically for old school California varieties, which I was, this is literally the perfect thing to work with, both because it's so old because it's so beautiful and because it's so unused these days. It's like, there's, it was, it's the one thing she wasn't selling out of at that point. She was like, Oh yeah. Like you can have as much of this as you want. Like go for it. Wow. Yeah. You off the top of your head. I was, otherwise I'll look it up. Know how much Columbard is left in California. I don't, no, I know not. it's actually still kind of a larger percentage than you would think. Oh really? Yeah, I looked at the crush report. There's a California releases a great crush report annually. And I think last year it was like, I want to say like 8%, which wow. I, might, I might be totally wrong. That might be an absolute lie. Um, but it used to be something <laughs> like 60%, like 60% right. of the crush in California were, call, were columbard like several decades ago. Yeah. Um, I can't remember anymore for sure what it is right. now. Well, I'll, I'll get lost in Google for a second. You guys keep talking. Okay, yeah. So, and so, and what did you do to the columbard once you got it in? Once you got it in the cellar, were you doing like, um, yeah, tell us your regimen. So last, so not last year, 18, the first year, I um, picked only a ton each of the Karen and Columbard. For the Columbard, I had heard from Martha and some other winemakers that Columbard is not perhaps the most aromatic of grapes. So I like aromatics. I like texture. I like you know, flesh in my white wines. So I decided to skin ferment it to try and add some flesh and aromatics and texture to a grape that might otherwise be just really kind of thin acid. So I gave it five days of skin contact and it turned out well. And then in 19, which is the stuff I'm about to release tomorrow, I, what did I, I pick twice as much columbard, I think two tons, three tons. And um, instead of just doing it one way, I decided to experiment a little bit because experiments are super fun and always worthwhile. And it's one of the main reasons I make wine is because you get to just like do cool stuff all the time. I split it in half. I took half of the columbard and I direct to press, fermented it without skins, totally in like a linear high acid fashion. And then I took the other half and I fermented on skins for twice as long. So for 10 days in 2019. So in 2019, so tomorrow, I'm releasing two wines 
picked at the same time, both columbard from the same vineyard, one of them fermented with no skins, one of them with 10 days skin contact as kind of like a interesting comparison of what skin contact does to a grape. Totally. Su yeah. Super cool idea. Yeah, it's, I mean, they're both delicious. They're very, very different. And, you know, obviously everyone who tries them prefers one or the other, which is part of the most fascinating part of fermenting things differently is seeing right. what people like, what they're drawn to, what they're attracted to. But you can't buy just one of them. You have to buy both, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you have to buy both. yes. As on, <laughs> on principle, not even if that's like the rule from your website or whatever, like you, on, on principle, <laughs> if you're buying these wines, you got to buy at least one of each. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is the idea is to try them side by side and, and right. see what you like better and then learn something for yourself about, about what skin contact does and, and how it affects a grape. Yeah. And then, so in, in 2019, you added what, two more wines to your portfolio? So I did actually, so in 2018, I made two wines, just a single Carignan, single Columbard. And then in 2019, um, so tomorrow I'm releasing uh, six wines. Two Carignans, two Columbards, a Columbard Aburiu co-ferment, and wait. a... Wait, you can't wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That. First, <laughs> go back, ask, go back. You don't think fast enough to say that as fast as you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I was talking to Pamela, maybe, I don't even remember when, a year ago, year and a half ago, two years ago, about what grapes she has in her vineyard, she casually mentioned one day that she has three rows of Aburiu interplanted with the Valdegui. Aburiu is a red grape from southern France that is known as early Burgundy in California because uh, it looks rather like Pinot Noir, but is darker and ripens much earlier than anything else. Um, it, for example, the Carignan in her vineyard usually ripens in late September to mid-October. The Aburiu is ripe in like early to mid-September. So. For those of us scoring at home, can you spell Uburu? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a test right there. Can yeah. I spell Uburu? I don't know. If, <laughs> if, I can't, if I can't spell it, I can't Google it, though. No, you know totally. what I, mean? I, can, I can spell it for you. Don't worry. I got this. Um, <laughs> A-B-O-U-R-I-O-U. Okay. Aburu. Yeah. And is it called something else in different parts of the world? I know it's called early Burgundy in California, and actually, um, technically, the TTB won't allow me to call it a Buru on my labels. I have to call it early Burgundy on my labels. No shit. Whoa. Yeah, which is crazy because it's actual. Like the grape is actually called a Buru. Like that's what it was named. It's not. But they just don't recognize it. They don't recognize it. It's called early Burgundy here. Yeah. Okay, so okay, I got to put top of my skull back on. Now tell me, you you <laughs> you co-fermented that with Carignan. So, no, so I, I picked it as a field blend with um, Columbard. So basically what happened okay. is they have about, so they have three, four rows of Aburio. We picked all of that, just usually they call in a professional pick crew, but for this little amount, me and Pamela and Tom just went and picked it ourselves. Picked the four rows of Aburio and it came out to about a third of a ton. Not very much at all. And then um, I was like, well, I want to co-ferment it with something to bump the um, volume up and to, you know, I, I like red, white co-ferments. I don't have any yet. So we went and picked some columbard and it worked out well for them because their vineyard's a little bit weirdly interplanted. They have a couple random vines of columbard throughout the Carignan. So we just went and like drove the Polaris around to each like of those small patches of columbard vines strewn throughout the vineyard and just like picked all those little vines and brought up the, um, 
like match the tonnage of the aburio, so it's 50-50. And then I co-fermented that field blend pick of aburio and columbard for about five days on skins. So is it sort of <laughs> rosé-ish? It, it, yeah. So I, I, its name is Pink Lemonade. I name all my wines. Okay. Um, this one's name is Pink Lemonade because when it was fermenting, it was this like crazy electric vibrant pink and it looked just like Pink Lemonade. And it was like a joke with the interns last year. And then um, it darkened a bit by the end. So I, by the time I pressed it off, it's, it's no longer this electric pink, but it does have this really beautiful, like very bright magenta hue to it. And it drinks like a rosé. It's meant to be a rosé, even though it's darker than a traditional rosé. But, but drink chilled. Drink very chilled. It's super high in acid. It's very fresh, very bright, like very young. Yeah. Brian, this is... I'm, I'm, I'm just like salivating <laughs> right now. And this is a radio show. <laughs> Brian is basically just like arms out. Everything that you're saying about the way you make your wines. Come to Papa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. So Rosalind, I get off work, you know, you know, work nights in a restaurant, you know, norm in under normal time. So like, yeah, I get off work and I'm looking for something high acid, thirst quenching, cold that I want to drink. And so you're like, you're just teasing me right now with that wine. <laughs> I mean, low alcohol. So like you can drink a bottle of it and not be like totally messed well, up. The next a bottle and a half, maybe <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Whatever you need. Right? COVID will apply. <laughs> <laughs> okay so okay so and then was there that was like the so, fifth what was the sixth the sixth is also kind of confusing um it's awesome. a <laughs> yeah so um okay so i did the direct to press columbard so i took those skins that were direct to pressed so the skins still have quite a bit of juice and acid and flesh in them and because they're not fermented yet they're just fresh pressed skins and then um i put those skins in a bin and I um, picked up some Jonathan apple juice from my friends Ellen and Scott <laughs> at Tilted Shed, which is a local cidery like 10 minutes down the road from where I am at PAX in Sebastopol. Uh, they're lovely. They're good friends. They're really into experiments also. Ellen and I do lots of experiments together. So um, she gave me, God, how much was it? Like 30 gallons of Jonathan apple juice. And I poured the Jonathan apple juice over the columbard skins. And I let that all ferment for five days and then I drained the, like, what is now apple grapey, juicy mixture out of the skins, let it ferment further in a keg, and then bottled it while still a little bit sweet to make a Jonathan Apple and Columbard co-ferment pet nat. Sort of like, it's like <laughs> crossover between pet nat, cider, and... Piquette. And Piquette, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In a tea bin at Pack Winery. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to keep it in the corner of the parking lot so it, it, in case it went horribly wrong, it wouldn't infect anyone. <laughs> it wasn't allowed in the building. It was like relegated to like a far corner away from everyone else. <laughs> the, the rules make sense at that place. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Everyone was like, we support your experiments, but can you please keep them out of the building and like somewhere where they can go experiment over there. Yeah, <laughs> Rosalind, Rosalind has been moved to a shed in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so how to put, how, I have to know. So that's the thing that like for me, because I, I love cider, um, Brian's going nuts about the super high acid stuff. And I, I, I do love those wines, but I'm, I'm in for this. 
Yeah, I mean, Martha Stuman loves it, which, like, Martha's, like, you know, if, if Martha likes it, then I'm pretty sure it's golden, so that's all I've got to say. All right, fair <laughs> enough. It's well, fun. and just, just the way that Jonathan Applejuice rolls off your tongue, too, I love that. Yeah, right, you like that, Jonathan Applejuice? Um, it's good, it's, it's about seven, no, I think about 8% alcohol. Um, yeah, it's sparkling, I disgorged it, so it's, I, I'm really into clear, clean pet nets. I worked for um, Pascal Poter in the Loire Valley, like Cap Triad. And he makes like some of the most pristine, gorgeous, beautiful, clear pet nuts I've ever had in my life. And I think that's a really lovely thing to aspire to. So, I mean, I definitely drink undisgorged things, but if I'm going to make a pet nut, it's going to be disgorged and clean. So it's clear, um, dry, a little funky, uh, cidery, but also wine at the same time. It's, it's weird. It's different. It's, I mean, I'm not going to say everyone's going to love it, but it's, I like it. I think it's cool. And Rosalind, we're losing you on your microphone a little bit. Okay. There we go. That's better. Back. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Can I can I ask a nerdy question? What what was was the bricks of the apple juice? Um, what was the bricks of the apple juice? I think it was about. I'd have to check my notes. I would. I think around fifteen. I want to mm -hmm. say lower than grapes for sure. Right. Uh, it get, like I said, it came out to about 8% alcohol and pretty much all the sugar in it came from the apple juice, some from the grape skins, but majority from the juice itself. So I think about 15 bricks, but I'd have to check. That's and, super interesting. And, well, and what's kind of cool is what I'm thinking, I see your wheels turning, Sam, is that she's been doing these experimentations and now 2020 comes along. Right. What, a, what a perfect time to have had some experiments going in the past to kind of see what you could do in 2020. Which oh, we I haven't even we haven't even talked about Rosalind. What was harvest like for you? Not not for PAX, but actually for yourself this year. Uh I mean, insane. The harvest yeah. has been exhausting. We just we actually just picked our last fruit for the facility today. It's PAX's Nellis and Syrah. Picking that on October, what is it, October 6th is truly insane. Um in early or late. Oh, so early. We usually pick this stuff like in November or like end of October. Um, Where's that coming from? Nelson's a vineyard about 10 minutes west of Sebastopol. Yeah, really beautiful place. Um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been a rough harvest. I, I, I know everyone has had the same experience in California. No one's, you know, it's, this is not a unique story, but it's definitely been tough. Um, everyone's super tired and cranky and the growers are just so screwed which is really the yeah that is part of it all um but mine mine has actually been better than some other people's because i tend to pick pretty early um some of my stuff came off before the smoke hit which is great and then some of my stuff did not and i did what most people did and made a lot of rosé so yeah. so yeah. you weren't didn't mess too much with skin contact stuff this year did you yeah so i did i pulled i pulled off some new stuff this year from Rossetti. i got some zin and that came off before the smoke so i made some really nice zin from them i'm also working with a new vineyard um in santa rosa run by this guy named aki and um he has muscat vert and merlot that i took the muscat came off before the smoke so i made skin contact muscat this year um the columbard from Rossetti and the carignan both high mel <laughs> The winemakers are up here bothering me. Um, Vineyard pet. Yeah. <laughs> the columbard and the carignan both came off after the smoke. So uh, no skin contact columbard this year. It was too risky to do. And 
no skin contact Carignan either. I did a rosé of Carignan and I did a really light carbo of Carignan that uh, is like a dark rosé kind of at this point, um, which I'm, I'm honestly not psyched about. I don't, I really like the Carignan and I am pretty bummed that I couldn't do any skins with it, but it was just, it was too, like, it wasn't worth playing with that much fruit and potentially having it turn out smoke tainted. Um, I did get to do some fun experiments with a little bit of Cab Franc that I picked from the top of Pine Mountain. Um, it came off really smoky, but it was a very small amount. So I pressed it into two press cuts, uh, free run and a heavy pressings, and I bottled them separately as pet nets. So we're gonna see which one tastes smokier. Do both of them taste good? Are they both screwed? You know, no idea at this point. Um, I also I split that fruit with um, Tim, Martha Stuman's assistant winemaker, and he took the same fruit and fermented it on skins as a red wine. So we've got this smoky fruit fermented three different ways, and we're going to see who wins. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I got to imagine that, you know, on a, in a regular year, there's a lot of interesting and experimental and sort of, you know, out of the box thinking winemaking going on in that facility. Imagine in this year, it's got to be just uh, uh, that kind of taken to another level, right? Oh yeah. We're all just like casting about for the best way to do things. Like, do we rinse it on the sorting table? Do we sort everything? Do we just like, and every winemaker has a different um, like theory and reasoning for what they do. Pax's thing right now is just like dump all the fruit totally uncrushed and untouched into one tank rinse it until the water runs clear, like get rid of all of the like whatever free run and whatever like dust and everything that comes off the fruit. And then once the water runs clear, seal the tank up, crush it with your feet inside the tank and let it ferment. Um, that's his thing. But every, everyone, like I said, has a different, a lot of them are doing like pretty heavy press cuts to try and the theories that like the heavier pressings are going to be smokier. So we're trying to eliminate those and keep them separate. Only, only time will tell, you know, what worked and what didn't. It's definitely, it's been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, and it affects you guys some, you know, at some point more than others, just because, you know, I was thinking about this, Sam, that, you know, there's the big companies that can, you know, can in some ways afford to take a year off. There's small people that just aren't, you know, they're just turning away grapes and not making wine. But then there's people that are in kind of that middle zone where, you know, they're sort of relying on releasing wine every year for income, right? So when you have a year where it gets challenging like this year, it's like, what the fuck am I going to do to like, now I got to go take a restaurant job or what the hell am I doing? Yeah, it's definitely, that's part of it. And then a whole nother aspect to it is that a lot of us have really close relationships with the growers that we work with. And some of those growers have crop insurance and the ones that have crop insurance, you know, that's great. They can rely on that. But the ones that don't have crop insurance, they're in so much trouble if we don't buy their fruit. That's an entire year that they're not, they've invested all this money into this fruit and they're not going to get any money if the, if the winemakers don't buy. And so there's this balancing act where a lot of us are trying to purchase fruit, enough fruit from the growers that don't have insurance to keep them afloat while also not potentially throwing ourselves into massive debt if that wine comes out really smoky and we can't sell it. And I even saw, I saw a ferment that you did with, I could swear it was with plums. Oh it yeah. Was, it was Pinot and plums. <laughs> yeah, man, that's another, another experiment with Ellen from Tilted Shed. They had a, it was a, it was a bumper year for plums in Sonoma. So many plums all over the place. So um, 
we harvested a bunch of plums off of the trees around her house and froze them and then um, used them in a couple different co-ferment experiments. So I did one with um, more Jonathan apple juice, Pinot from this little tiny Pinot vineyard that I tend by myself and plums. Then she did a couple with some other grapes and apples at her house. So I only okay. made a yeah. Hang on, a, a little a little Pinot plot that you tend by yourself. I'm trying to picture this. Okay, so where is this and how is it that you have your own little Pinot plot? It's in, um, it's actually in Pax Maley's neighborhood. Um, it's uh -huh. near Grayton and it's a property owned by a man who, he lives in Oregon and he Airbnbs this property and he planted a little vineyard there, 500 vines of Pinot. Um, I think he planted it like eight years ago now. It was unpruned, untended for a couple of years, and you can see it from like the street. So I'd pass by it, and I finally called him and uh, asked if I could practice. I mean, I I don't do a ton of vineyard work for my job. I worked a full season at Porter Bass a couple of years ago and really enjoyed it. But we do. I I tend Magic Vineyard for Pax, a Syrah vineyard a little bit west of here. But other than that, I don't do any vineyard work for him. So it, I like having you know, getting to have my hands in the dirt a little bit more. So I, I called the guy who owns this Pinot Vineyard to see if I could take care of it in exchange for pulling the fruit from it, if it ever produces fruit again. So I've just been pruning it every year for the past two years and leafing it and doing all the vineyard work that has to be done and then harvesting whatever fruit comes out of it in the fall, which so far has not been much. Um, this year, the crop was really bad because the crops were bad all over this year. We had really low yields across everything. So I took whatever came out of the vineyard and co-fermented it with uh, Jonathan apple juice and plums to make about, I think I got like five or six cases of this co-ferment just for fun to see what happens. You know, maybe plums are worth yeah. it. Maybe not. Only time will tell. <laughs> it was a crazy plum year though. Like every plum tree in every neighborhood was yeah. like falling over with fruit this year. Yeah. So many plums. I mean, it just, it was, if you're going to do a plum experiment, this was the year to do a plum experiment. Yeah. Yeah, we got a couple of neighbors who have the trees in their front yard and they're not picking them. It drives me crazy when you when you walk by neighbors that have lemons and limes and what, whatever they have and you walk by and you're like, how come they're not? What are it those should other be like an addendum on their property tax. If you have a fruit tree in your front yard that you don't pick, you need to pay an extra $50 yeah. in property tax. Yeah, right. I agree. <laughs> all, those, all those plums on the waste, what a bummer. I, I remember uh, on the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember um, watching some documentary on Magic Johnson when he when he got um, um, drafted by the Lakers, and he and he lands. He'd never been in California before, and from the airport to the um, to the Coliseum, they were passing these houses that had that had trees in their yard, and he was like blown away. Couldn't he's like. So he actually made them stop and he ran out and was like picking some fruit. <laughs> like that was just crazy that people had fruit growing in their front yard and they were just letting it sit there. I, and I agree. I'm the same thing. When I pass that stuff, I'm like, man, I want to go knock on doors. I know. Can I have some of this? <laughs> right, right. But you think that Pinot will actually like in the next, you think he'll let you tend it for a few more years? And do you oh, think you'll cool. actually make something out of it? Like a, like an actual Pinot, like a Pinot wine. Yeah, I mean, so last year I got a heavier yield. I made a sparkling Pinot pet mat out of it last year about, I think I have seven cases of it. Um, he'll let me keep tending it, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it will ever produce heavily. It's The vines are pretty beat down. Um, there's a lot of oak trees around the property that I think sap nutrients from them um, a lot. There's a, There's 
some disease in there. I'm not even sure what. Um, and it, it's really susceptible to powdery mildew. Again, I think because there are a lot of oak trees shading the property. Right. Um, so it's, it's definitely of anything I do, it's the most like, I do it just because I really like farming and it is nice to remind myself how to prune and how to tend to a vine and to, to watch the cycle throughout the year. I don't know if it'll ever be commercially viable. Um, that would be amazing if it, if it did, but. Well, it's kind of Zen. I mean, gardening Zen. Yeah. Uh, it's, vineyard. It's, gardening. it's like your support. It's like, it's like, you know, your support dog, your support animal, service animal. It's yeah. your service. Right. <laughs> just right. And, and if you were in Burgundy, like the pressure would be on, but just, just have your own little vineyard <laughs> where, you know what, you fuck something up, drop some fruit. No one's going to care. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good exercise for sure. Okay, so I think we should stop right here and just tell people where they can get or how they can get a hold of your wines because you seem to be talking about more wines than you offer. Like, <laughs> who's, who's, where are these wines going? So um, the, the six wines that I talked about, the, the five still wines from Rossetti Vineyard and the one sparkling Jonathan Apple Juice co-ferment pet nap that I made, mm -hmm. those are all going to be available on my website starting tomorrow as soon as I get my release together tonight, which I swear I'm going to do. Um, my website is... That sounds like someone I know. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> He's not here today. Uh, it's kind of rough sometimes working full-time and then also being like, oh, and now I need to uh, maybe like do my business thing that I should be doing. Sales? Right. Shoot, yeah. <laughs> I, don't ha I don't have an excuse. This actually is my business. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh. So, and so if, is it one of the things where like, if people send you an email, then they're on the mailing list. And then when you release the wines, you send them an email saying, Hey, what do you want? Yeah. So even easier, you can go to my website, www.mewines.com. -E and I have, I'm, I'm good enough at marketing that I actually have a mailing list on there that you can just sign up for from my website. And if you're on my mailing list, you will get an email tomorrow morning about the release with, you know, information about what I've been doing and links to all the wines you can buy. Plus, okay. we'll be live tomorrow with all the wines. You can just go directly to the website as well. So I know Brian's about to, once we hang up, going to go and join the mailing list and make sure he I'm, I'm already it. on the mailing list. Okay. So. <laughs> this is, this goes live. So we're recording on Tuesday. You're releasing on Wednesday. This is going live on Friday. Is that, is it, are you like, are the, is there going to be any wine left by the time people listen to this oh. show? The weekend, or is it all There's gone? Definitely going to be wine left. I'm okay. not nearly popular enough yet that I sell out. No. Well, worries. now you've been on this show. Maybe you'll. <laughs> maybe that'll change. Maybe after Friday, there'll be no wine left. But at this point, I would say that anyone listening to this, there'll be some wine online. Please go buy some. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. What are your prices like for um, just a general average? Um, between twenty-five and thirty a bottle. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet yeah. spot. Sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, personally, I really can't afford to buy wine for more than like 35 a bottle. So it seems silly of me to try and price my wines higher than that. So that's the... Well, that's why I've been crushing the Monorio wine too. And I swear to God, the first time I bought it, I paid 12 bucks. And then the next time I bought it, I paid like 16 bucks. And then just yesterday, I bought a bottle at Bottle Barn. It was 18 something. Like, is it just getting more and more popular? So they're jacking the prices up? I'm not sure. You'd have to ask Patrick Capiello that question. <laughs> the New York model, man. It's the New York. The first one's free, you know? Second one's half price and then... Totally. I got the dime bag for free and now I'm like, I'm, uh, now I'm, I'm jonesing. 
You have to take that up with Patrick. I'm not going to say anything about that. We'll put in a good word for us so he'll come on our show, would you? Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll torpedo him with the why is your one. And I think you did also, I think your carnion was at Miracle Plum with, um, um, was it Gwen and Sally there at Miracle Plum? Yes, they carried my 18 wines and I'm sh- they will also have my 19 wines, I'm sure. They're lovely. They're really lovely women. Yeah, yeah. No, super cool lineup that they have yeah. too. Yeah, they they do. They they're one of the. I think they're like the only kind of like naturally focused wine shop in Sonoma. I'm pretty sure. Anyway. Yeah, no, yeah, I think you're right. And I was thinking about that when I went to Bottle Barn yesterday because I, they sort of have natural wines interdispersed with other wines, but they don't really have it an actual section. And I wonder yeah. if that's something they'll look into going forward. We'll see. Yeah. Um, can you briefly just tell us about you? You climb rocks, don't you? I do. I, cl- I climb the rocks. Which scares the crap out of me. Sam and I were just, <laughs> we remember a couple of weeks ago talking about how I have a 12 year old daughter and when she was, I don't know, like five or six going to Howarth Park and they have that big like structure that's like a big spider net that, that the kids can climb. And I was telling, you know, Sam's got a, a little daughter too. And I was telling just wait, watching her climb. Actually, I had physical pain in my groin watching her climb up things because you're you're just thinking that they're gonna fall but I knew that I had to let her do that kind of stuff I mean also little girls have they're the best body type for climbing their strength to weight ratio is insane really they're built for it oh yeah oh yeah and then I mean even watching that movie what's that movie where the guy free climbs like half dome free solo yeah I'm like my palms sweat my heart rate is going up when I'm just watching it Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. That is, Alex Honnold is insane. Like, that's not, normal climbers don't do that. I don't like to do things that put my body at risk of death because I like to be alive. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you get into climbing rocks? Uh, I was harvest hopping. Um, and so harvest hopping, you work fall in the northern hemisphere and then fall in the southern hemisphere. And you have off winters in between. And winter is kind of the prime rock climbing season for a lot of desert areas like um, Rocklands, this place in South Africa, about three hours north of Cape Town, um, Waco Tanks National Park or State Park, which is in Texas right near El Paso, uh, Bishop in um, California, a lot of desert climbing areas throughout the world. The season is the winter because it's cooler in the winter. And so um, I met some climbers while I was working at a winery in um, New Zealand and went with them on a trip to actually South Africa after harvest ended and loved it. And it just lined up so perfectly with the work circuit I was doing. It was so easy to finish a three month job and then go spend two months in a climbing area living pretty inexpensively and just climbing every day and, and do that for the next two months and then go right back to work for the next season and then climbing again for the next it was just this like perfect circuit nice but I also I I should add that I don't I don't do the the tall rope you know mountain things I do what's called bouldering which is just like climbing things that are no taller than 10 feet and the emphasis is on really intense difficult gymnastic movement that you like perfect and lock into place in order to complete the sequence of gymnastic movements. It's not so focused on height or adventure or like things that might hurt you. You don't, you don't get hurt bouldering really. Maybe you get a little bit hurt, but you definitely don't die. Yeah. Right. And you got no desire to go up Everest. 
Oh no, I, I like to be. I, I like to. I, like I said, I like to be alive. It's nice. Yeah. Being alive is good. The yeah. wine's better when you're alive. It is, I think. <laughs> I <would agree. laughs> and so, Rosa, what's your plan going forward? Are you gonna, um, you know, is to stay with Pax for a while? And I mean, it seems like a pretty cool situation where you are able to make your wines there and still getting a paycheck. Um, or do you have aspirations? For, for now, definitely stay. I mean, I just started working here full time in, in January. So I definitely plan on staying here for a couple of years. Um, it's a great place to work. I love yeah. everyone that I work with. Um, like you said, it's a really good incubator. And yeah, my business is not financially stable enough to just have me be doing that. I need to be, you know, supported financially in another way. Um, in five years from now, 10 years from now, I don't, I'm not going to pretend that I have a 10 year plan. Uh, we're going to see how the next couple of years go. I <laughs> intend to grow my production to, so this year I did 10 tons of wine, 10 tons of grapes fermented into wine, which is double from last year. I intend to build up to about 20 tons and then maybe cap it there and, you know, keep production. I like being able to produce small lots that I sell mainly direct to consumer or wholesale instead of going through distribution because it allows me to focus on things like experimenting with apples and plums and like doing like weird small time intensive projects instead of pouring all of my energy into mass producing, not even mass producing. I mean, a hundred tons is not mass producing, but even making a hundred tons takes so much time and effort that I wouldn't have the time to do the strange little small things that I enjoy doing. So it's nice. It's a nice balance to be able to work full-time for packs and, and keep myself financially solvent that way and focus on a, a small scale project of my own that, you know, allows me to do small, interesting things that I like to do. And do you, do you actually live in Sebastopol? I live in Santa Rosa actually right now. Santa Rosa. Okay. Okay. What's a good spot for lunch over near the, near the, uh, um, near the crush pad? Uh, best spot for lunch? I mean, normally I would say ramen gaijin, but because of COVID, everything has weird hours and they're not open for lunch anymore. Uh, so sure. maybe, oh, what's the sushi place called? Kosho, I think it's called. That place is pretty good. It's like three doors down from PAX. I'd say go there. Okay. Yeah. And do you guys, do you, do you actually do tastings if people got a hold of you and wanted to do a tasting? Uh, yes. So, I mean, PAX obviously has the tasting room up front. None of the rest of us use that tasting room, but any of us, myself included, if you contact us directly, we can set up a tasting in uh, the, the, we have a, a back bar in the production area of the winery and we can do tastings back there. Actually, no, that's not true because it's COVID. We can do tastings outside on the picnic table. Okay. <laughs> because of COVID. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so for you, how do you like for people to get a hold of you? Is it through email or is it going, the, going on the website and then is like an info at kind of thing? Exactly. There is an info at Emmy Wines email. You can contact me there. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Or on Instagram. I love getting DMs. Okay. Yeah. Which, yeah, which is how he, we hooked <laughs> up. So that's, it's nice to know that you answer them. It took me like a year after being on Instagram, how to figure out that I even had a message. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I DMs? It's so useful. <laughs> totally. Instagramming. And wait a minute. What is, and let's just tell people what your Instagram is. It's, um, it's just my, it's actually my full name. So Rosalind S. Reynolds. Okay. At Rosalind S. Reynolds. And I encourage you guys going on there. It's pretty, you, you have a, um, 
a, a cool eye for stuff and you guys seemed like you're always having fun and getting into a little bit of trouble so we're trying to have fun man it's hard this year but we're trying so hard <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure i hired um, these four, four interns and we're just trying to we're trying to make everything good for them you know yeah that was rough yeah rough year for the interns yeah i know yeah all right well so tomorrow if hopefully um tonight you get everything squared away so tomorrow i can order some wine from you <laughs> yes thank you i hope i get it squared away also that'd be great <laughs> okay <laughs> sam you got any shout outs you want to um, get to uh i don't know oh, it's pretty yeah. shattered out uh you know we're, we're making wine isabel's working hard out there trying to figure out what to do we got some interesting rosé fermentations going on um you know it was great to have megan talking about voter stuff if you're not registered to vote go figure that out go figure out how you're gonna vote because nothing's normal this year but but nothing's normal but it's never been more important so that's a shout out. Uh, my wine club, the Phil sent me shipments are going. If you're supposed to be on that and you don't get one, let me know. Um, and with that, we're also going to do a virtual vinyl Sunday tasting zoom event. Brian, you're going to MC. You don't know that yet. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so that'll be October 25th. So if you remember, uh, you can get on that list and I'll be sending out a zoom at some point now that I've said it into the world. And actually, now it has to happen. I know you actually got to do it. So what does that mean? Virtual vinyl Sunday? It's, it's, I mean, it, it's going to be like our, the virtual tastings kind of that we did with, you know, for the winemakers podcast, Brian, but um, okay. I'm going to, we're going to work in a little bit of music and see if we get some special guests to make appearances and, and say hi. Um, so I'm just going to leave that out there. Uh, hanging because I don't know exactly who all those guests or musicians are going to be. Um, you know, you're also working with like the idea is how to get some of these musicians, uh, you know, put their Venmo tip jar out there and and um, mm. you know, hear some live music and and throw some much needed bucks the way of uh, of the musicians these days because they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We're doing the same thing at the Fairmont. We got you know some, but the air quality has been killing us the yeah. you know last week and the week before. But all right, you guys, it's getting better out there. Rosalind, we totally appreciate you coming on the show today. I know you're busy. I know you, you um, don't have a lot of time, and you got a lot. What what's what's my favorite song from uh, uh, Smoking the Bandit? We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Yes, that is literally <laughs> the theme of this harvest. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> totally. All right, and you guys, uh, I encourage you to go check out her wines. Uh, I'm assuming you ship all over the country? I do, with the exception of a few states that I need to get licenses for, but for the most part, yes, all over the country. Okay, cool. Yeah. And good luck with the rest of harvest. Um, I mean, are you guys pretty much done? I saw that you guys were pulling in Syrah today, but you, I mean, is there anything yes. else hanging? Mm, there's a there's like a, a one or two maybes but i'm pretty sure this will be the last of it today okay yeah i think most of those maybes that i know of i mean i don't know about you guys but for us the, the maybes are quickly turning to nose yeah that's that's exactly what's happening over here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right guys get thank out there and vote thank you rosin we totally appreciate it love to come see you sometime and do a tasting i think that'd yeah, be great that'd be awesome all right all right, if you want to check out some of our past episodes, you can go to radiomisfits.com backslash the winemakers. And we will look forward to talking to you next week. Subscribe, review, and then vote. Maybe there vote. You and subscribe and review. <laughs> there you go. Well said, Sam. All right, thanks, guys.